Hello, welcome to Enlightened Empaths with Samantha and Denise. This week we're going to be discussing past lives and the empath. We're very excited to dive into this topic. We're going to be talking about ways you can get in touch with your past lives and how getting in touch with your life before this life can help you get a connection to your purpose in this lifetime. But before we dive into all of that, I wanted to start, Denise, just kind of with a general overview of what a past life, what does that mean? What does reincarnation mean? And where did all of these ideas come from? And what I found interesting is that almost every religion believes in reincarnation, including, well, I shouldn't say including Christianity, but they did a, one of those Pew studies in 2009, the Pew Forum on Religion, mm-hmm. and they found that almost a quarter of Christians believe in reincarnation. Well, that's a pretty big sense. number. Yeah. Um, reincarnation is also called transmigration, and it's the belief that our souls die and are reborn. We all know that this belief is predominant mainly in Eastern religions, but many ancient Greeks believed in past lives. The Orphic Mystery religion, for example, believed that our soul pre-existed this life and reincarnated again and again until we could achieve union with our pre-existent soul. Plato also professed a belief in reincarnation. The Hindus, Jainism, Buddhists, Sikhs, Gnostics all believe in past lives. Most of the thinking behind reincarnation is that in each lifetime, we create karma, which is the law of cause and effect, and that we come back again to balance out that karma, and that we bring all of our positive attributes from our past lives into this current life, and we bring all of our negative attributes that we are here to work on into this current life. The goal of our soul is something called moksha, M-O-K-S-H-A, which means liberation, release from this cycle. If you think about the tarot deck, the Wheel of Fortune card is symbolic of that wheel of life of reincarnation that we are on. Moksha occurs when the soul realizes that the individual and the all are the same. One thing I just want to talk about before we dive into some stories of past lives and all of that good stuff that we have ready for the show, I wanted just to speak to so many of our listeners who are Christian. What I think is important to remember is that many of the ancient Christians believed in reincarnation. It wasn't until the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD when Constantine created the Nicene Creed and had the idea of reincarnation taken out of the Bible and almost all references to reincarnation wiped and erased. He did this for kind of selfish reasons. He wanted people to believe in the sanctity of royalty, and he was afraid that if people believed in reincarnation, then how could the royal blood be considered pure and sanctified? In essence, the Council of Nicaea kind of turned God into a Roman emperor. It marked the end of belief in pre-existence, reincarnation, and union with God. There were two bishops at that council who refused to sign the Nicene Creed, and they were banished from the empire. So it was kind of like you know, join or die type of thing. There still are some references to reincarnation in the Bible. For example, in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, there's that story where Jesus' disciples see the blind man, and they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And to me, that's a common one that's referred to when you talk about Christianity and reincarnation. And to me, this does show that there was some type of thought to this idea of karma and bringing our past issues into our present life. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus says, whom do men say I am? And his apostles said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So there's that idea that he has come again. In John chapter 3, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If I have 
if I have taught you of earthly things and you don't believe, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And then he also says in that chapter, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, which again is that idea of that wheel of fortune of going up and down and on this cycle of lives. In Matthew 11, Jesus identifies John the Baptist as Elijah. He says, Elijah has come, meaning again, like been reborn. Mm -hmm. Even the ancient Jews sometimes taught a little bit about reincarnation. For example, some of the ancient Judaism texts talk about Adam being reborn as Seth and Noah as Abraham. So I just wanted to kind of set the stage that this is a belief that goes back to ancient times. It's a belief that many, many, many religions believe in, and more and more Christians are coming to this belief. I just think it's really important for everybody to look at the history of our beliefs and look at the motives for our beliefs before we just accept what's been taught to us our whole lives on blind faith. And, and I think you have to go with what resonates with you on a core level. The other piece to this is if you look at the, um, the tenets of indigenous tribes around the world, there's very, very much, you know, the ancestral honoring and, you know, things that have been passed down through the generations, but also the pay it forward for the next seven generations. So I think that's also indicative of we're going to come back and what are we doing? Um, I think as well that the familiarity sometimes that we play. So the religious piece and, you know, when you go right back to Christianity originally being based on paganism, and there's the, and that's a really delicate line because a lot of people don't want to, and just Catholicism, because it's what I grew up with, the ritual, the routine, the ceremony, a lot was based on the, on the natural cycles that, that do connect with um, paganism and more uh, earth-based religions or outlooks. So it, it's always, my own personal belief is that if you get down to the core uh, level on all the major or on any religions are basically all saying the same thing and I think reincarnation is a piece of that but if if you feel like you you that it's a one-shot deal then that's yours to honor I, I think that's another piece to this it's really really important I agree what is your view on karma I mean do you think it's eye for an eye like some people believe or do you think it's more intricate I think it's more intricate, and I think that, um, and I, I think about these things a lot, and I have over the years, as far as, I used to be afraid, am I doing things that I'll have to come back and pay for later on, not that I was a horrible person or anything, but, or am I, some of the things that happened in my life, are these things that, you know, are a restitution for all the choices I made in another lifetime, and over the years, I've I've really fine-tuned it more about it's the lessons we learn from each other. And sometimes those may seem brutal and cold and, and horrendous, but we learn these, these lessons that so they evolve our souls in such a new direction that maybe that's the only way. But I do believe we contract this stuff before we get here, which pros and cons to that, I guess. No, I, I definitely agree with all of that. I don't think karma is so much black and white. You know, you did this in a past life, so you have to address it with that same person in this life. I think it's more about the soul plan that we create for ourselves before we come to earth. I've always been given information in my meditations and my communications with my guides that we create a very extensive soul plan before we come to earth where we set out our challenges, our triumphs, our life lessons, and our goals. We are all here to learn something and to teach something. And I feel that when we finish this lifetime and we go to the other side, we sit down with our team and we go over this whole plan and say, okay, so Samantha, you said you were going to do A, B, and C. You did A and B beautifully. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Uh, what happened to C here? You kind of just dropped the ball there. <laughs> and then I feel like there's some discussion I do feel that there's a period of rest and play 
and sometimes some work that we do on the other side. And when we're ready and replenished and refreshed, we create a new soul plan and we come back and we try it again. Okay. And that also leads into old souls that, you know, sometimes you just meet people and they're wise beyond their years. They just have such insight and understanding. You can, for me, it's, it's a visual thing as well. A lot of times I can see it in people's eyes, like that old soul look. Um, so have they come back so many, and I do think it's a progression sometimes that we may come back and in relatively new, new souls might have different lessons or not new souls, but new, they may not have, have uh, come down to the blue planet as many times. I don't know how else to put that. And I always say, well, God is a creator. And what does a creator do? A creator creates. So of course there's going to be new souls created. Right. And so I do think there are new souls and I do believe there are old souls. I look at everything like school. I mean, everything in my life, I relate to school. I still call fall a semester and spring a semester. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, that's what I, that's how I look at it. And I feel that there are some souls who are in kindergarten and there are some school souls who are in middle school. And I think we all know some of them. Mm-hmm. And there are some souls that are in high school and some in graduate school and on and on. And then I feel that the old souls are teachers. I do believe that there are souls that are walking on earth that don't have a whole lot of karma to address, that they have come here as an act of service. I I agree with that. I do. And I think that's the other piece to think that it's just us is kind of silly. There's a lot of, um, the universe is so infinite not to, you know, go down a wormhole with that, but um, there, there's many ways things can incarnate, and and that comes up in religions as well. But for for today, we're talking about people with past lives and future lives and karma, and what do we need to address, and also why do we uh, contract with specific people for specific lessons? Because some, and I think this this leads into as well when we meet someone we've never known, and there's such a familiarity. There's such a knowing, there's such an understanding. And sometimes that's with a positive reaction and other times it can be with a negative reaction of, you know, you, I remember someone who became a very dear friend of mine for years. When I first met this person, I felt uncomfortable. I felt angry. I didn't want to be around her. It was an immediate dislike. And we ended up becoming very dear friends for a long time. But for me, for a long, long time, I thought, why did I have that initial reaction? And as I became more sensitive and more aware of, you know, past lives and regressions and all. And I truly do feel like that was something that had carried over that we agreed to address this time around by working it out. I feel that those people are members of our soul group or our soul family. Do you think that sometimes if you've, if you've done what you came to do with them, then you don't necessarily spend the entire lifetime with them? Yes, I do. And I think that's why, Some people come into your life and there's an intense connection, a relationship that's either romantic, sexual, or just friendship. And then the relationship just ends. And it's because you guys have come here to do what you had to do and teach and learn from each other. And there's no need to have that connection anymore. And, you know, I'm just going to use a personal example of when I met my ex-husband, I felt an immediate connection and there were a lot of red flags and I chose not to look at them. But there was a connection. It felt very different. It felt very heart-based. I was convinced this was the person. And when I, it took me a long, long time. And when I looked back, I could finally see the stepping stones of the lessons that I needed to learn from that relationship. And they were big. They were probably some of the biggest things I've done this time around. So sometimes the people that we want to be you know, upset with or angry or cut out of our lives, they, I agree with you, they've come in as our biggest teachers. Yeah, some of the most negative people in my life have been my best teachers. Often I don't see it in the midst of that negativity and chaos, but in hindsight, I will always see the gifts that they have left me, the gifts of strength, self-love, confidence, compassion. And so I think we need to value the quote-unquote negative relationships in our life as much as we value the positive ones. 
Okay, and I'm, I'm going to jump right in on that one because the folks who are listening to this empaths, if you're in a toxic relationship, figure out the lesson and get the hell out of there. You, you don't need to yeah. stay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that also counts for empaths are, that are in those relationships. That also counts if you're in one of those dramatic negative relationships with a sibling, a parent, a good friend, a coworker. Mm -hmm. The best thing to do is to get out. I know for years with some of my relationship issues with my mom, I used to always pray, like, what am I supposed to work on? What am I supposed to learn? How can I help her? How can I teach her to be gentler? And finally, I just realized, I mean, so all you're doing is standing in front of a bus that's going to hit you every time. Mm -hmm. And I think the lesson I was, one of the lessons I was here to learn about that was to just get out of the way. <laughs> Don't put yourself in the line of fire. And sometimes I think people need to have permission to do that. And that's a not, really, not that really good point. No, no, no. But, but that's, that's a really good point because there was a, a situation that I have uh, with a sibling and we're, we're not close. We've had a lot of um, conflict in our lives. And I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, and I may have already mentioned this on another show, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But I thought, um, you know, am I going to regret this at the end of the road that I didn't rebuild those bridges or try harder or do something else? And then I thought, clears a bell, maybe my lesson was to step away from that and take care of myself and not keep repeating the pattern. Because that's as big a lesson as healing that that's a healing lesson on a on a soul level as well and and that could be the message that was coming through from that relationship rather than if it's not balanced if there's toxicity if there's continuous pain maybe it's a different message than what we initially think it might be yes and that's why i feel if you are enmeshed in a difficult relationship even if there are 10 past life connections between the two of you I always recommend walking through that relationship with a good, trained, trusted therapist who can be a mirror and a cheerleader for you. One of the things that kept me in my toxic relationship with my mom was, A, my religious belief, because that darn commandment, you know, honor <laughs> thy parents. And B, was people would always say to me, well, if you disconnect from that relationship, you are going to have so much guilt when she dies. And I was sharing that with my therapist one day, and he said, Samantha, you can either have 30 years of pain, misery, and agony while you wait for her to transcend to the other side, or you can have 30 years of freedom and peace and happiness and deal with the guilt for a year or two when she transitions. Wow. That's that a very really insightful therapist. Me. Very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so back to past lives. One of the things I know, Denise, you wanted to talk about was how intuitive empaths can recognize their past lives. And you, before we were recording on the show, you were talking about some things that they can point to in their memories and their interest and their taste. And I'd love for you to start off with that, if you don't mind. Right. Well, some of the most obvious ones are a, a really an incredible draw to a specific historical period. If you love... Western movies, you love the Old West, you dream about going to the Old West, you love that period of clothing, you, you just, you think about that in, in, or World War Two or medieval times, if, and some people do come in with this incredible, incredible connection to another uh, time period, that's usually a good sign. Dreams can be another sign of that. It's usually even uh, a culture, a, a language. Um, usually, there's some connection for us in this lifetime that is is a uh, like it's a thread to that other life, and there's a a, film, a familiarity or a passion or an interest. And it's interesting, you know, when you watch your children grow up or people or young people, whatever it might be. Uh, one of my sons was absolutely obsessed with World War II, knew every mission, every campaign, all these random facts about it, and really hadn't had anyone in his life that talked about that. It wasn't exclusively, it wasn't uh, um, overly taught in the school district, 
but it was just something that he personally came in and I asked him, he said, well, I just love that. You know, my other son absolutely loved that civil war period, just everything about it could tell you these. And, it, and I think that connection that we have or that we see in other people can often be a big, big um, indicator that there might've been a life there as far as something concrete. I agree. And I think sometimes if you have not a repulsion, but a negative reaction to a place or a time period or a moment of history, that can also be a sign of a lifetime that was difficult for you. And I think that ties in with people that have fears they can't equate to anything that's happened in this lifetime. There's a mm-hmm. woman that I worked with who, her, her, she is absolutely horrified she is going to drown. She's going to be uh, over the ocean. And like when she has flown to other countries, you almost have to tranquilize her because she's convinced she's going to drown. She's so horrified. She's going to fall. And, and in my, when I first met her and she told me this, I thought, oh, she died in another life. She fell and drowned. So it just sometimes those fears that um, you have not, no reason, there's absolutely no reason. Did you die from a spider bite? Did you have, did you fall? Were you, I think that those can be indicators as well when there isn't really anything in this lifetime that ties you to that, that adjunct fear. Yeah, I agree. Or just fears that don't have a rational basis to them. I have a fear of confined spaces. I'm not claustrophobic. I mean, I can handle, you know, being stuck on an airplane or being in a elevator, I can handle being in an MRI. I just don't enjoy it and I get antsy. I don't even like wearing like turtlenecks anymore. I don't like anything tight around my neck. And so I feel like that's connected to some strange past life. But I also have this irrational fear of um, being stuck in a place like prison or confinement. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's connected to some negative memory. Because right. that's not like a rational fear. You know, I'm not gonna, <laughs> not a criminal. <laughs> Do you have any weird fears like that? But that's, you know, years ago, um, not as much as I used to. It's weird because I used to have more, um, but I don't so much now, and I don't know why I don't anymore. Uh, I think I know why. Can I give you my opinion on that? I'd, I'd love it. Okay. I have this theory that sometimes fears will arise or dissipate connected to the time period, meaning the age, that we experience that event in a past life. So let's say, for example, you and I were hung or burned at the stake for being witches in a past life, like most intuitives feel they were at some point, right? Right. And let's say in a past life that happened um, when we were 30. Mm-hmm. Then once you get past that in this life and you are like 35, then I feel that that fear goes away. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Yep. yep. So can you share a story? Have you had a memory of a past life? I've done regressions. I've done a couple of regressions and with um, you know people who really knew what they were doing. And I think as we met, talked about before the show, excuse, sure you, it's someone who you trust and who knows what they're doing. Because that is, that's a very, um, it's sacred, it's vulnerable, it's also, it can be an amazing, amazing experience. Okay. But the, the other piece is, um, yes, I've done regressions, and one, what it was a guided meditation, it was kind of a hypnosis guided meditation in a group. And I had never done it before, and it went right back, and it, you know, it was the typical thing, you relax, and then you walk down the path, and you, where are you? And then they started with you looking at your shoes, and then you, you worked your way up your body and you saw what your clothes were. You look around, who's there, who do you recognize? And it was so, so real, right down to the point of, and for a time period, they asked, um, you know, to look for something significant in the surroundings that would be indicative of the, the, the and right when she said that, the woman doing this, this person like came roaring up, like rushing up on a horse saying, the president just got shot, meaning Lincoln. So I think that, and and everything in that time period prior to that, the clothing, the way the people were dressed, the what was going on, the dirt on the roads, the landscape, everything. And I hadn't made the connection that it was that time frame. 
So, and I think that it, it often will walk you right through to how you passed. So that if, if you do have an irrational fear, say of being shot or, of, or you have uh, hanging or whatever, if you saw that there, you can work through it while you're in the regression so you can release that and not have to deal with it anymore in this lifetime. But again, working with someone who is good at what they do and is qualified to do it. Because I, and I've said this a lot is my concern is with the abundance of um, resources to find out how to do this. Anyone can get online and say, well, oh, I do regressions for people. You want one? And it, it might not be exactly the most positive or beneficial experience for someone. Uh, I think I shared I this, this story about my son in the orphanage. Did I tell you that story? No, no. When my boys were little, we used to do gratefuls at night. What are you grateful for? And my youngest son, who was very, very small at the time, said, I'm grateful we have a roof over our head and I'm not an orphan and that we're back together. And I had done a previous reincarnation, never mentioned it to anyone. It had been, and it, I had been working in an orphanage in old England. And when my son said that, I got willies from head to toe that he was one of the kids that had been in that orphanage and that we contracted to come back in and do this again. And we do have an incredible bond. And, you know, it just, I think that that ties in with the soul group, but also the fact that this little tiny guy would say that when he had no, there was no um, reason for him to use those words. Wow. That's powerful. That's so interesting. I had a series of dreams when my middle daughter, Tori, was born. Between the ages of four months and six months, I would have these dreams where I was in the kitchen and she was sitting in her high chair and she was four or five or six months old in the dream. But you know how dreams are. She mm -hmm. would start talking fluently. <laughs> she would say, <laughs> Mommy, do you want to know how we knew each other in a past life? Wow. And when I held her hand, she showed me this past life where she and I had first met and it was a very traumatic sad memory that I don't even want to get into but then I had another dream where she said do you want to know why Olivia and I are sisters and I said yes and she said hold my hand and I did and I was a school teacher it felt like the midwest it felt mm -hmm. like the early 1900s um, and I it was like you know little house in the prairies like a one-room schoolhouse and she and Olivia were, were orphans who were living on this farm with this man. And when they were coming to school, I was noticing that they were being abused. They had bruises and scratches oh. on them and they weren't well fed. And, and it was very upsetting. And I loved these two little girls. And so in the dream, I, I reported, you know, the man to the authorities and they wouldn't let me take the two little girls because I was a single woman and I was a teacher and I wasn't married. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me take them. And so they separated them and they went to two different families in, the, in another state. Oh. And so I felt guilty about that. And so after I saw that in the, in the dream, I was back in the kitchen feeding Tori still in the dream. And she said, that's why we had to be sisters for real this time. Oh, oh, that's I know, beautiful. And I, thought, oh. I have a couple of other stories that I found on the internet about kids remembering their past lives. Do you mind if I just share a couple of those? Oh, no, I think that would be fun. Okay, cool. Um, this one is from ranker.com and it's just people sharing, you know, stories about, themselves and kids who have remembered past lives and they're they're quick and they're short and they're, they just make you think and wonder about this beautiful mystical world we live in um, this one starts off when my daughter was three she told me several times that she knew me my sister my mother and my dad before she was here now she said all of us women wore white dresses and worked in a white tent with red crosses on it. She said, we all helped fix grandpa after he got pooned. That was her word for gun sounds when she was little. She also told me that we have taken turns being the mommy. She said I was doing a good job this time. What's interesting is I've actually accidentally called her mommy a couple of times when I was really tired. 
My little boy spoke what sounded like German as a baby without hearing it before. And when he was older, we got a German babysitter that was surprised we only spoke English because he was speaking low German at her house. So there's a woman who has two children who are remembering distinct past lives, which I think is so interesting. My favorite part of that little story is that the little girl said, we've all taken turns being the mommy. Yes. And that's an important point is that we come back in all different roles, different sexes, different ages, different colors, different religions. And and that brings us back to what we talked about earlier in the show about how all the religions, the indigenous, everything, this, this is a universal thing. This isn't just specific to Eastern philosophy or Western philosophy. Yes, exactly. And when we do reincarnate with the same soul group, I would imagine you would take turns being the mom or the dad or the sibling and see how the different dynamics of that would impact the relationship issue you're working on in this lifetime. And haven't you ever seen kids that kind of act like the mom in the relationship? Yes. Yes, very much. You have to wonder if sometimes when you have, you may have a a child or a sibling or someone in your family that is, 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 as you say, in the South, hard-headed and just stubborn Mm -hmm. and they're like clash constantly. Is that from this lifetime or is it something carried over or is it both? So it's fun to think about. I know. Here's another quick one. Um, My son has said a few things that remind me of the possibility of past lives. Several months ago, my son, who was three at the time, my husband and I were talking about our wedding, which took place about seven years ago. My son was listening when all of a sudden he chimes in and says, yeah, I was there at your wedding. We tell him he wasn't because he wasn't even born yet. He insists he was there and that he watched the whole thing from up in the sky. My husband and I thought it was a little strange, but we brushed it off. Just recently, he asked me, what grave was I in before I was here? I told him he wasn't in a grave. And again, he insists that he was in a grave. I questioned him a little further, and he said, I was in the ground in a grave. Then I was here with you. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That would kind of freak me out if my child remembered that. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but but again that story illustrates that you know my belief from my own experiences and just from reading countless stories of other parents experiences that our children do watch us up in heaven and pick us out. And yes. he probably watched their wedding and said, "Yeah, those look like good people." Then you know, I've said this before on other shows. It is my belief that souls when they choose to incarnate again, they have to choose parents that vibrate at the same frequency that they do. So, and this is what I've been told in a lot of my readings that I've done, and I hope this is going to make sense. If you vibrate at a really, really high frequency, it's usually indicative of an older soul. Older souls can incarnate with parents that vibrate at the same frequency or lower. So an older soul is going to have more choices of parents. A newer soul has to choose parents that vibrate at the same frequency. You know what popped into my head, though, is where does that put those of us who at times have felt airdropped into families? Like, what the blank am I doing here? Um, so that that's interesting because I do I honestly do believe we choose and uh, and that's been my saving grace many many times is thinking I chose this I chose this to be brought up this way I chose these lessons and also when things have been difficult and I've been worried about my boys I've thought they chose me so Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. comfort in that there's a whole lot of comfort in that there is there is and I think there can be a lot of confusion with what you just said, I mean, I know I can't speak for you, but I, I think you'd agree. I've had times where I've looked at my parents and thought, there's no way in hell I chose this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've often told the story when I was, I don't know, seven or eight, my older sister was just being mean and teasing me. 
And she said, you know, you're not even a part of this family. Mom bought you from the gypsies. And I remember (laughs) sitting in the playroom looking at her and feeling this sense of relief wash over me. And I started to smile and I said, really? That's the best thing I've heard. And she said, you're such a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) But I really thought, that makes sense. That answers everything. So who knows? Who knows? I think that some of us that feel that sense of being dropped in have chosen to not incarnate with our soul group. I I truly believe that I did not incarnate with most members of my soul group. I think they're still on the other side. And I'm not exactly sure why I incarnated, where I did, when I did. But I have always felt a sense of being different, being unique, being alone. And I don't mean that in a sense of being lonely. I just mean I've always been the different one in my family. Yeah. And a lot of us have. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. an important piece in all of this. We should do a show on that. That would be fun. We totally should. Okay, here's another quick story that I thought was really cool. This is from another um, person on Ranker.com. I had an experience once with the five-year-old daughter of my neighbor. Little Lily was quite intuitive and aware for a kid, and we had a strange connection. When she would go on trips with her parents, she would always bring me home a souvenir, and I would be able to see in my mind's eye her buying it and deciding on what to get. One day, after they moved to a new house, I went upstairs to see her new playroom. With another friend, we watched amazed as she outlined a circle on the floor in chalk and referred to it as her safe, protected space where nothing could harm her when she made wishes. She proceeded to address the four directions and sat in the middle and began wishing good things for her mom and dad and baby brother. I stood there astounded. She was working magic, doing magic. Then she turned to me with evident frustration and said, don't you remember? Don't you remember teaching me this? The weird thing was that just a couple of weeks before, I had had a beautiful past life remembrance where I was a beloved member of the community where I taught everyone, mothers, fathers, children, how to work with natural forces for their benefit, for crops, for fertility, and childbirth. And that was a really great, humble, simple, abundant life. Lily's now at Yale becoming a lawyer. Those openings happen and then they close. Wow. So... Isn't that fascinating? She just instinctively knew how to, you know, draw a circle and call in the four elements and told this woman, this neighbor that she had connected with, don't you remember teaching me this? And and I also like at the end where she said those openings happen and then they close because we said this earlier in the show, but most children tend to remember their past lives until around the age of seven right. when that tends to go away right because there's less imagination and not critical thinking but more abstract starts to sneak in and being around other kids being in school there's there's so many variables but you know the other thing that's interesting about all three of these stories is you know the whole um, premise of cellular memory that we keep with us you know, the ancestral line, but also I have often wondered what pieces do we keep from other, our other lives? Cause I do, well, my own personal belief is our souls are eternal and that's what keeps coming back is this soul, which soul groups, blah, blah, blah. But, but I, I just wonder how much of it. And I do, I believe that we are basically who we are on some aspect that there's a tendril that ties them all together. Yes. I agree. And that and those tendrils are what make life and understanding our life such a beautiful, endless journey of seeking and trying to understand. What do you think life would be like for people if we could remember our past lives? It could be a double-edged sword. I mean, mm-hmm. some people might just be like, woohoo, I have just... <laughs> This is my freedom train life right here. Um, Or some people may, I don't know. I I think that it's interesting. I know the impact when I've done a a regression, 
on my day, my life here now, because it does. It makes you look for patterns and look for synchronicities as far as, you know, uh, when I mentioned previously uh, earlier in the show about, you know, being in the orphanage in England, running this orphanage in, in old England, is that one of the reasons that I've spent this lifetime, I mean, 99% of my jobs have been taking care of people who needed help, nursing homes, group homes, state institutions, uh, special education. It's always been taking care of people who needed more. Um, So would that be a carryover or is it just, you know, something that I chose to do in this lifetime? I don't know. Both take a lot of compassion and empathy. So I I, I think that it's, uh, it's just fascinating to me. It is to me, too. I think if we remembered our past lives, we wouldn't be able to do the work that's needed to be done in this life. We'd be too focused on regret or guilt or missed opportunity from that past life. And also, you and I have said before many times, that love at first sight that some people experience isn't always a good thing. Sometimes it indicates that you have serious past life karma with someone who did you wrong in a past life or vice versa. And so you have that instant attraction because your higher soul knows this is the person, this is the one that we have to work all that crap out with. And we get all excited and we fall in love with them instantly. Imagine if you did remember what they did to you in a past life. Oh. And then you run into them in this life, you avoid the hell out of them or attack <laughs> them or what. I don't know, but, you know, and you'd never have the opportunity to finally balance and heal and bring closure to that karma. Well, the other thing that I think is fascinating is cyclical patterns that, you know, right now we have a lot of younger people who we could pick them right up and put them back in the 60s as far as a lot of the, the uh, social injustice issues, the freedom issues, the individuality, the love for the earth and the planet. So many things are happening again that, you know, did some of them come back from, and that's only, what, 50 years ago, roughly? Mm-hmm. And that's always been something that um, I've never had a clear bead on. How long? How long are we out? How long does it take us to come back? Some people believe a a long stretch. Some people believe you can come right back in. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think you need a little bit of respite in between. I do, too. I do, too. And I think it just depends on what your soul's job is. Like, if you're just here to work on your stuff, like, let's say, again, going back to my school analogy, let's say that you are a first grade soul or a ninth grade soul. That means you're still working on your stuff, Mm -hmm. which means you need to heal karma with people from your soul group. Those people, I feel, wait about 100 years between lives so that they can wait for everyone to die so they can all do a group blueprint and plan and come back and try it all over again together. But the older souls, let's say the ones that are doing their post-grad doc work, <laughs> and they want to, <laughs> they want to actually get out in the field and take everything that they've learned in that, you know, in the last 18 years of study there, when they incarnate is going to be important in terms of, the historical time and what's going on in time. That you know what sense. I mean? Like let's, yeah. let's say, let's say a whole soul has done several lifetimes learning how to fight injustice and they've gotten really good at it. And now they know how to do it for them to be born into the 1980s. I don't know, unless they want to fight Russia. I, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on then. If you wanted to fight injustice, the best time to be born is this period. That's a very so good point. I, Interesting. I think sometimes, yeah, I just, I think it can vary for your goal. You've, you've spent lifetimes learning how to break barriers. You know, in every lifetime, you were the first African-American to do this, the first Native American to do this, the first Aborigine to do this. 
and if you if your whole thing is breaking barriers, well then you know you're not you're not going to incarnate now as as a white man in America. There's no barrier to break there. Mm-hmm. So I just I think it depends on the age of your soul and the intent of that soul. True. Very true. And just the, the whole thing because my father passed relatively young. And so would would he come back? Will he come back when my boys have children and I'll still I mean I just think that it's so the the cycles there's no way we're going to know until we get on the other side. I agree. Well, the one thing that freaks me out uh, watching that show, which you got to watch, Denise, because I just want to talk to you about it, The Ghost Inside My Child. Okay. It's, um, there's this one where the, the little boy remembers dying in 9-11. Oh. And it's so detailed. They're able to find out who he was. Wow. And I'm thinking, 9-11? That's not that long ago. No. And this little boy is like five years old now. And right. I'm just, they never talked about, sometimes on that show, they'll find surviving members. Like take, for example, there's a famous case you all have probably heard. Um, the, the Leninger family, they wrote a book called Soul Survivor about the little boy who remembered being a soldier in World War II and his plane was shot down. That book details, I mean, I won't, you know, go on and on about it. Read the book, Soul Survivor. But they find out exactly who he was in World War II, the plane that he flew. Um, They take him to World War II meetings where he meets other vets and meets some of his friends from that lifetime. And you can see in the book and in the um, documentary shows they've done on it, some of the veterans are like, yeah, I think that's him because he remembered stuff no one else could have known. They also took him to his sister's house in in the past life. The man who was shot down in the plane had right. a sister. She's now in her 90s living in California. Well, this family flew their little boy out there, and he said to her, where's my painting? And she goes up into the attic and gets a painting he painted for her in the 1930s. Wow. Well, if that doesn't give you a well I know. So sometimes, um, you know, they'll talk about the sur- like the surviving family members that are still alive in current day. On this episode of the 9-11 boy, they didn't talk about his family members. But you know someone's watching that show who lost a dad on 9-11 and thinking, oh, my gosh, is my father a five-year-old boy in Oregon? I mean, how strange is that to consider? very strange very very which again strange. if anyone is listening to this and freaking out thinking wait a minute what did she just say my dad just died six years ago is he i believe that our are a part of our soul which i call our higher self always stays on the other side mm-hmm. and just as you can take a dvd and make a thousand copies of it but there's always going to be an original. I feel that the original of who we are stays on the other side and then aspects of ourselves incarnate. That's why I feel, Denise, that you and I can do a reading and we can tune into someone's grandfather and get messages and validation from him without knowing if an aspect of him has incarnated or not. Now that is a big, big rabbit hole to jump down right there. Yeah, <laughs> and I is. mean, that's a whole, that's the quantum physics thing. And, uh, but, but also, and, and I think we brought this up in, earlier in the show, but when you go somewhere and you recognize it, when you, um, I used to dream about this house all the time and I have never seen this house in real life, but I have dreamt about it my entire life. I know where everything is in that house. I know you go through the kitchen. There's a little narrow staircase up the back way. I I could recognize this house in a heartbeat if you put me in it. I've never physically seen it, but I know it's, but I've, so, you know, why, if, unless it's somewhere that I spent time in another lifetime, why would I have such vivid recall of of a physical Mm -hmm. play? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so. I think it's probably a happy a happy lifetime or a happy memory. 
Do you ever get weird, random flashes? Yes. Of all kinds of things, really. (laughs) No, I mean, (laughs) I mean, connected to a past life. Like, I often will get a random flash of me as an old lady sitting in the back of this church knitting. Oh. And I always think, like, what church allows you to sit in the back and knit? But I, I get a flash of that from time to time. Or sometimes I'll get a flash of a back staircase that's all stone. And that's really familiar to me. Just random weird flashes. Right. And, and the familiar is, is usually an indicator when mm-hmm. you just know it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I always spell things the English way. Like theater, I, I, I always spell with an R-E. And I've done it since I was a little girl. Hmm. And I think, I think the reason why I feel so connected to England is because that lifetime must have been recently. Because to me, driving on the right-hand side of the road is so odd. Oh, that's interesting. I, I remember when, yeah, my dad took me to Europe when I was 17, and he rented a car. And, um, you know, my mom was like, you're so good at driving, you know, on the other side of the road. And my dad was like, yeah, it's, I have to keep reminding myself. And I said, well, I'll, I'll do it. And, and I drove, on the, on, you know, the, I felt so normal. It felt more normal than all the driving I do in America. Oh, that's, that's very fascinating. It really is because the, the, the things we remember that don't make sense, but feel right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll have weird joint past life memories. I had a dream, oh gosh, years ago. I was in my 20s, I think. I was a gay man in England. It was World War I time. And I wasn't doing a good job. Like, I wasn't a very good soldier. I was, I hated war. I hated the gun. Like, I just, I just remember hating everything about it and feeling shameful about every aspect of myself. It was just awful. Um, that's all I have is just that dream was just that one flash of sitting in that like trench and just realizing I am not cut out for this and just being really, really afraid. And I never really told anyone about that dream because it it wasn't very significant. It wasn't profound. Years later, my dad told me that he had this really specific dream that he and my mom were walking down the street in London and they were dressed very like fancy and they were window shopping and as they were looking in at the window shopping my dad turned to my mom and talked about how disappointed they were in their son (laughs) (laughs) and the minute he told me that dream I knew I was that son and I knew that they hated me because I was gay because I wasn't like you know this manly man um, and because I wasn't living up to their expectations of me it was really weird it, it is strange, and, and whether it's a dream, and when you just said that, I got a, when um, my ex-husband and I, we lived in very rural places out west, but we lived in uh, this little town in Oregon before the boys were born, and we were walking up through this field, which if you've ever been in rural Oregon, there's a lot of open space, um, and he turned around, he was walking in front of me on this path, we used to hike a lot, and he turned around, and I've always felt a draw, a draw to Africa. I've just always been fascinated with, with the whole thing, with the savannah. With, he turned, and for a split second, it, it was like incredible deja vu of, we've, I've I followed him before up this path, but it, it like all of a sudden felt like open grassland, like you'd see in Africa. And mm-hmm. it was very mm-hmm. instantaneous. But I think that's another piece to this is deja vu when sometimes it's just that it triggers that memory. It triggers a response in you on a core level. Another can be another big indicator that there's a connection. I agree. And you can look at your um, instant feelings about certain things. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Ever since I was a kid, if I ever heard anyone make a derogatory comment about a gay person, I would go to town on them. 
And it's not like there's no gay people in my family that I know of. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, don't talk about my sister that way. It wasn't, there was nothing like that. But I've always felt compelled to defend anyone who tends to make a snide comment here or there. And I think that can be a sign of a past life, you know, something. So I think if you're trying to figure out your past lives, Sometimes you can, you know, get snippets and dreams, but sometimes you can just do what Denise and I are talking about and just think about, you know, what country, what place of the world do I feel so drawn to? What place in the world do I feel kind of repelled by? Uh, what time in history am I always fascinated by? And what issues going on in the world do I feel that I must defend? Do I feel very passionate about? All of those answers are going to give you clues into your soul, your past life, your journey, and your purpose. I wanted to talk about getting a past life regression. I know earlier, Denise, you had talked about how important it is to make sure the person you're going to is certified in this. You know, there's, um, you, can, you can get a certification in hypnosis. And that's one certification. But then you have to go back and get your certification in past life regression hypnosis work. A lot of people will tell you, oh, sure, I can do a past life regression. But you want to make sure you get someone certified because you're going to pay significant money for it. I'm a big advocate, and I don't know if you agree with this, Denise, But I'm a big advocate of doing your own past life regression. I've had some of my most profound experiences just listening to one of Brian Weiss's CDs. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that? I have. And I I think that um, it depends on the person. It also depends Mm -hmm. on um, how comfortable you are doing any kind of, I refer to everything as juju work, but some people aren't comfortable doing any kind of work by themselves. I think that would be another aspect of it. Uh, One of the things you can do is if you um, have a portable tape recorder, if you are doing a regression for yourself, is to use a portable tape recorder, or now it would be your phone because everything tells you how old I am and going back in the day. Um, So because when you get up, you don't want to... um, you may not remember all the details that you remember as you're in the regression. So, because I know often when I do any kind of journey work or regressions or, or any kind of deep meditative state, my default position afterwards is to write, write through it, write all about it, you know, and, and keep that connection alive. But if, if you aren't as comfortable with, with remembering the details, um, taping it may be a good option. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to a past life regressionist, what you should expect is you you will most likely lay down like on a massage table and they should take you through a process where they relax your body. And that takes some time because they're trying to get you through the different brainwave states. And after they relax your body, then they're going to help relax your mind. And it's all done just with them talking. And then they're going to guide you through a process. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, Most of them will involve walking downstairs and they'll count 10, 9, 8. And then eventually you'll get to a door. And when you open that door, you know, you'll see your past life. So there's a lot of different ways. I've had a couple of different past life regressionists and they've all done it differently. But just in case anyone's sitting there going, I don't even know what to expect when I go in. Um, you're fully clothed, you're lying on a couch or a massage table, the regressionist is sitting nearby, oftentimes they will record the session, and I think they should, and then they will uh, guide you to recall a past life, and they always will tell you to look at your feet, and the reason why they do that is because they want to ground your energy in that past life, and then they'll tell you to look around, and usually what they'll do is they'll guide you to the highlight of that past life. You know, like what was the happiest moment of that past life? And then oftentimes they'll guide you to a low point, like what was the sad time of that life? And sometimes they'll guide you to different aspects of that life. You know, what 
what was your soul there to learn? And then they'll guide you to the end of your life and they'll have you see how you passed. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating process. One thing I just want to mention, I don't recommend going to a past life regressionist or, or laying in your own bed and, and listening to a Brian Weiss uh, MP3. I, I don't recommend going there and just saying, hi, I'm here to remember my past lives. Because we've all had hundreds upon hundreds. And so the one that might pop up if you do it that way might be the most traumatic one or the happiest one or the most recent one. And none of that might be helpful to you. I think it's important to go into a past life regression with a very specific intent. Think about an issue in your life that you have always wondered about. You know, for example, why do I always struggle in my career? Why have I never been able to find a job that really makes my heart sing? Or why do I always struggle with money? No matter how much money I make, I'm still paycheck to paycheck. Or why is every romantic relationship in my life such a disaster? Whatever it is in your life that you've just always wondered, like, why? You can go to the past life regressionist and say, before you do the regression, you can, I recommend saying it out loud, it is my intent to recall the past life from which this situation I'm currently dealing with originated. That, and it's amazing think, what will come up. It, it is. And, and I think that that's um, a wonderful, another part to that can be if there are people in your life that you're concerned about or you're having strained relationships or you're wondering what did we do in our past life, you can use that as an intention as well. Mm -hmm. Because whenever I've done regressions or been a part of a group regression, it's always been look around and see who you recognize. And, and you'll generally see someone that you know from this lifetime, either a, a family member or a dear friend or a partner or, you know, someone you work, it, it doesn't, there's there's no rhyme or reason to it, but there'll be a connection, a soul connection there. I, that's just from my personal experience that I've had that happen. And I think sometimes just remembering the past life can be so healing in this life. And that's what Brian Weiss's work, Many Lives, Many Masters, often illustrates. I had a friend who was struggling for years with infertility. And so she went to a past life regressionist and said, it's my intent to recall the past life in which, you know, this infertility issue began. And she remembered a past life. She was somewhere she felt like in the Middle East and she was like part of a harem. And whoever the guy was would just, she just kept her constantly pregnant. Hmm. And every time she had a child, they took the baby from her. Oh. I know. And then she recalled another life where she had four children and they all died before the age of one. And just remembering those two traumatic past lives, I, I swear it did something because she was pregnant within the year. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can be so healing to remember those. I, I had another friend who had always struggled with weight her whole life. And so she did a past life regression and she recalled several lives where she was starving. Like right. there was one life where she was at a castle, um, you know, like when they, when they would lock everyone in the castle and fortify the castle until the food ran out. She recalled one of those past lives and she, they just starved to death. Um, she saw another past life where they were not the Donner party, but, you know, crossing the frontier and ran out of food. Mm -hmm. um, she had several lives where starvation was an issue and just remembering that and healing that enabled her to successfully tackle her weight issues in this life. It is fascinating. Just, um, how many, it's just, it, and it's another tool. That's, mm -hmm. that's the other piece to this. It's, it's just another tool in your toolbox to help you, connect more with your own inner knowing and your own sense of self and purpose, as you mentioned a few minutes ago. So, so should we mention some books people can read or um, yeah. do you have any other aspects you want to share before I do that? 
I think, yeah, some books would be great and um, sounds good. Okay. So um, I will post these on our Facebook page so that you guys can refer to them. So if you're exercising or driving right now, don't worry about getting a pen and paper. But there's a lot of great books out there if you want to research more about this. One is called Return to Life, Extraordinary Cases of Children Who Remember Past Lives by Dr. Jim Tucker. There's another book that Jim Tucker wrote with Dr. Ian Stevenson called Life Before Life, Children's Memories of Previous Lives. There's a good one. I have not read this one, but I've heard really good things about it. It's called Old Souls, Compelling Evidence from Children Who Remember Past Lives, and that's by Tom Schroeder. And then there's that Soul Survivor book I mentioned earlier about the little boy who remembers being the World War II pilot, and that's by his mom, Andrea Leininger. There's um, Carol Bowman. We didn't mention Carol Bowman. She is uh, considered on par with Dr. Jim Tucker in terms of researching children's past lives. She's great to watch um, and listen to on interviews. She just has fascinating stories. And her book is called Children's Past Lives. Um, and then Denise and I are going to do a whole show on Michael Newton eventually. But there's the Michael Newton books, Journey of Souls. I can't recommend his books highly enough. And that's the first one. Michael Newton, in case people aren't aware of who he is, he has passed away. But he started out as a hypnotherapist and would regress people back to help them get to the root causes of certain issues. But what he found was that he was able to regress people not back to their past life, but back to their life between lives. So he, his books are filled with fascinating information about our life review process and how we create our blueprint and our soul plan for the current life. And then, of course, there's Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss. That's his first book on past lives. Uh, of course, he has written several more that um, I like all of his books. Mm -hmm. And they're all, they're just all about the healing aspect of, of past lives. But I, I would recommend you start with Many Lives, Many Masters, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes. And, and especially because he comes from a scientific background. He's not, mm -hmm. uh, he, his, which is incredible because it's always nice when someone has the evidence, has the scientific mindset, and things show up that you can't apply the scientific method to because right. they have a different perspective than people who may be natural empaths or intuitives who just know it to be true and believe it. Mm -hmm. So, well, so we hope that we've given well. you all, yeah, and I hope we've given you all a lot to think about and to talk about with your friends and to just, Go through your life thinking, who was I before? Who am I now? And who do I hope to be? And I think it's the thing I love so much about thinking about past lives, especially as an empath, is we, it reminds us that we are all here for a very specific reason and purpose. As long as you are breathing oxygen, you are here for a reason. And I think some days when life can feel kind of monotonous and routine and like you're just here to work and pay bills, it can be really uplifting to remember that. We have a very specific purpose as to why we're here. And like you said, Denise, getting in touch with your past lives is just one more tool we can look at and examine to determine our sole purpose. So we hope this has been enlightening and uplifting and inspiring for you. If you have any comments or questions based on this show, please let us know on our Facebook page, or you can email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. We hope you have a great, beautiful, happy week. Don't forget to show up, do good work, and share your light. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye.